So we're starting a new series tonight entitled Seven. And the reason it's called Seven is because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, John is writing to the seven churches there in Asia. So really, the book of Revelation is a book that is written, it's a letter written to those churches. So uh, we're going to jump into it in a, in a few minutes, and i got a video to show here in just a minute. Uh, but before we have this video, it's kind of an intro video we found this week uh, to kind of introduce this series. But before I do that, let me ask a question. What is the most terrifying thing you have ever experienced? And please don't say your wife or your husband. Okay, uh, what is the most terrifying thing you've ever experienced, anyone? Debbie? Your house got broken into. Oh, wow. Wow. Colin? Wet socks. Wet socks. <laughs> that is pretty terrifying. I, I agree. Yes, Susan? Driving over a high overpass thing. Yes, I understand that. I understand that. Natasha? When Casey fell. fell. Crystal? When Ryan was in the hospital. What else? Mia? Going into the ambulance. Didn't know what they were doing. Yes. Is it cold? What? Your mother? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> they didn't say his grandma, right? That's good. All right, what else? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Lori. Cancer. Cancer? Okay, what else? Tasha? Uh, my child choking while I'm trying to drive. Your child choking while you're trying to drive. That is a terrifying thing. What else? Yes? Okay. All right, say that again. Oh, walking up to a house and there are clowns everywhere. I think that just terrifies a lot of people. And then one just moves. You should have known to not even walk towards that house, just to keep going. It's okay. We'll, we'll work with you. Marcus? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that would be terrifying. Jocelyn? Your fire alarm going off at 3 a.m. and not waking up from it. How do you know it's terrifying? You didn't wake up from it. Violet? Freaky Halloween movies. <laughs> Jenna? Getting a shot? It's terrifying, yes. What else? Maybe a couple more. Some of your dreams, yes. Brother Mike, if you've never heard some of these stories, he doesn't know if he's dreaming or if he's awake. Um, Anyway, that's, that's, that's another message for another time entirely. Tiffany? Uh, when Hunter split his head open. Thanks. Sorry, what was that? When Hunter split his head open. Okay, thanks. Thanks for this, Nate. Appreciate it. Um, anybody else? Maybe one more? Most terrifying thing you've ever experienced? Michael? Going through a tornado. Going through a tornado. Oh, great, great transition. You know, a lot of natural disasters are terrifying. You think of tornadoes or hurricanes or hurricanes, if someone says that. Um, earthquakes. Anybody ever gone through an earthquake? Yeah. A couple of people? I think I've had some rumblings, and they said I was in an earthquake before. But I think with natural disasters, some of the reasons why they are terrifying is because they are completely out of your control. 
You can't control a tornado. You can't control a hurricane. You can't control an earthquake. It's completely out of your control. And the reason I asked that question kind of to, to set the stage tonight, you know, studying certain books of the Bible can be downright terrifying, honestly. And the book of Revelation is a book that people often want to hear preached about. And it's the book that pastors least want to preach about. Because for similar reasons, people want to hear about it because they don't understand it. Pastors don't want to preach it because they don't understand it. And it's, it's a terrifying book. And it's one that it could be very easy to get sidetracked with things that aren't important. And I, I say all that to say this, that... You know, what we're going to try to do in this series is not give you every detail that may or may not take place in the end times. Because the reality is, if you're a Christian, if you're saved, you're not going to be here. And there's some things that it really doesn't matter what John was alluding to. We have to understand that some things that John was alluding to were symbolic, means symbols. Again, try to, and I'll, I'll talk about this in future messages, but Imagine for yourself that John, a first century being, trying to describe things that are 21st, 22nd, 23rd century things. How do you describe it? You can't. I mean, it, it just blows your mind. It's, all of us have been there where, you know, you get excited about something, or maybe you've been somewhere. I think I've used this illustration before. I remember when I was a kid, I think I was first or second grade, and we were getting ready to go to the Grand Canyon. Never seen a picture of the Grand Canyon. And in my mind, it's a giant hole. That's it. You walk up to the edge and you look down and there's a hole. And I'm like, what's so cool about that? In my mind, I, it's like, that's, that's stupid. I don't want to go see just a giant hole. It is a giant hole, but it's not like I imagined. And then when I got back trying to describe it, it's like, it's, it's big. And everybody exactly knew what I was talking about. Uh, that, that happens sometimes when we're trying to describe some things. So as we go through this series... I want you to understand that I'm not going to try to dive deep exactly, okay, this is what John is referring to. He's talking about intercontinental ballistic missiles or whatever it is, as some people might say, uh, with certain things. So what we're trying to do is give us an understanding of the book and really make the application of really what John is trying to get across to those early Christians who are struggling that I'll allude to in just a minute, as well as the application we can make for ourselves tonight. So before I jump deeper, uh, let's go ahead and show this video. It was on our, I think, our Facebook and our um, Instagram page today. It's about a minute and a half, kind of a little bumper, and then I'll get right back into the lesson tonight.
Michael put that together this afternoon. He didn't. I'm just kidding. Um, but again, we're going to jump into this series tonight. And I know some of those words are a little bit small, hard to read. That's why you're supposed to sit in the front and not in the back, people. Uh, but what it was talking about was those seven churches. And we're actually going to hit on that in the next couple weeks in chapters 2 and 3, where John specifically is talking and addressing the individual churches there in Asia and hitting on some things. But tonight is more of an introduction, as many books and many epistles in the Bible start out, as we've looked at with Paul when, when Philippians and Ephesians. He's kind of introducing and kind of, he doesn't just jump right into, you know, the, um, the, the great tribulation and things like that. He kind of sets the stage a little bit. So go ahead and turn to Revelation if you're not there. And we're going to read the first eight verses, so follow along with me if you would tonight. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. So already John sets the stage and sets the tone in verse number 1. And in the first five words of Revelation chapter 1, we see the theme or the focus of this entire book. So uh, I don't often do this, but I want you to read the very first five words with me. Ready? Go. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's five. Stop. All right. Say that again. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So here is really what we need to understand in this series. Revelation. It's not a revelation of John. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning this book is all about Jesus. It's all about him, that he is victorious. And I'm going to hit on this in a minute, and I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, but it's very easy to... Uh, look forward to things, to look ahead, to look at future events. Uh, it's very easy to look back at things. But one of the things that John is really trying to get across in these first several verses is that, yes, we need to look forward, we need to look back, but we need to live in the present and understand that Jesus isn't just coming to be king. Jesus is already ruler and reign, or he already reign, rules and reigns over everything because Matthew 28, 18, before he left and gave the Great Commission, he said that all authority has been given to me by my Father. So we have to understand that all authority on heaven and, and heaven and earth is already Jesus Christ. And this book is just a revelation of him that he is victorious. And again, if you're a Christian, you have nothing to worry about. And if you're not, then... Hopefully this will stir you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's continue reading, though. Follow along. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent unto them and signified it by the angel unto the servant John. So this is the apostle John, John the Beloved. And as the video said, it was about 95 A.D. John was on the Isle of Patmos. He was exiled there. And while he was there, what an amazing thing that happened. He had been tortured and persecuted. And all of a sudden, God says, you know what? I'm going to give you a vision. And I'm going to allow you to see some future events, to see into heaven. Man, just, I'm sure it just blew his mind. Verse number two, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy, there's a blessing that is given to all those that read and hear and understand and apply this. Now, let me just say, say this quickly, that if you are saved tonight, then you have everything you need to understand God's word. And what I mean is you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what enables us to understand his word, right, Brother Mike? That's what we need. Now, it's good to have commentaries and other helps, but you have, if you are a Christian, you have everything you, un you need to understand God's word. 
Uh, verse number three again. <clears throat> Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Verse four. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, there are a lot of numbers in the book of Revelation, and I'm going to address some of that in future lessons. But again, I'm not going to get so deep into numerology because I think people go crazy with that, and they're drawing things that you can, really, you can make something say whatever you want it to say. Let's just put it there. Verse number five, And from Jesus Christ, who is faithful, witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. There is a day where Jesus Christ is coming back, that second coming when he's going to rule and reign over all of earth. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Verse number 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Now the key theme of this book, if you have notes and you're following along tonight, really the key theme, if you want to put it all together, is this. It's the majesty and glory of the warrior lamb, King Jesus. That's what the theme of this book is. The majesty, the glory of the warrior lamb, King Jesus. This book addresses the future, but it's about exalting Jesus Christ, listen, as the supreme authority in our lives. This book is all about him. The word revelation is from the Greek word apocalypse, which means in unveiling. So revelation literally means to unveil, to take away that which obscures. Apocalypses have to do with mysteries and their meanings. So throughout the book, we're going to find many mysteries that will will be made clear, and some won't be made clear because it's not for us to fully understand and comprehend. But here's the truth that we need to understand. Revelation is indeed a mystery, but it's also a masterpiece. Revelation is indeed a mystery, but it's also a masterpiece. So tonight, what we're going to try to discover is the intent of this book, of why Revelation was written. There are things that we don't or won't understand, but we have to remember that there's a purpose in this book. And it's not to understand everything that is going to happen and scare us out of our minds. That's not the intent of this book. Get this down. The intent of this book is this. This book was written to give unshakable hope to suffering Christians in the present. Let me say that again. This book was written to give unshakable hope to the early Christians in the present. So the ones that were suffering persecution, torture, uh, at the time that John wrote this book, I think uh, Diocian, or I can't remember what his name is. Uh, the emperor was Emperor Diocian, I think that's what his name is. Uh, he was the emperor at the time, and uh, really a lot of the Christians were under intense persecution. You know, I've heard some people, you know, refer to this pandemic as, oh, we're under persecution. We're really not in comparison to what they've gone through. And I'm not making light of this pandemic and what's happened. I know it's serious, but what, what the church has gone through in America is nothing compared to what the early church went through and suffered and experienced. And just imagine this, if you will, as if you're an early Christian 
And literally, you don't know if the day that you're living is going to be your last day because someone finds out you're a follower of Christ. And for some, that would scare them out of, all right, I'm not going to go to church anymore. (laughs) I'm not going to follow that crowd because I don't want to die. Now, we don't have to face that today. Other countries in the world have to face that. But that was what they were facing. And some, as, as we know from, from history, were even fed to lions. I mean, it was a sport in the Roman Colosseum. You know, it is pretty interesting studying history, but, you know, some of the things that some of those early Christians went through, uh, I'd encourage you, if you enjoy that stuff, honestly, uh, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a great book, understanding some of the martyrs of the Christian faith and what they went through and what they experienced, really, for some of the freedoms that we have today. But just imagine, I'm sure they're, they're, as they're losing lives and friends and family are dying, they're probably wondering, God, what is going on? Some of us are probably wondering that today, right? What is going on in this world? And I'm sure some of them are thinking, well, doesn't God see our pain? Doesn't he see our suffering? Doesn't he hear our prayers? But God does see the pain. He knows the struggles. And so what God decides to do is, He decided to give John a vision so he can deliver a message to his church. And the message was that there is an unshakable hope. And the hope is in Jesus Christ. That no matter how bad things are or will get, Jesus Christ is in charge. And and I'm going to read what I have written from a commentary. Basically, it's, hey, church, things aren't what they seem. Things may seem like they're out of control as you see the beast come up out of the abyss uh, to make war with you and persecute you and kill you, leaving you for dead is some of the things that John will allude to. But take heart because Christ has conquered death. Christ has conquered hell. Christ has conquered Satan and Christ is in control. And he sees your tears. He hears your cries and He will raise you up to reign with him as king forever and ever and ever. So John is writing this book. I want you to understand this. To give the early Christians an unshakable hope. And that's the application we can make for ourselves today. Revelation is not, well, I have no clue what it's talking about. It just scares me. It terrifies me. It's for Christians to give them an unshakable hope. That Jesus Christ is ruler and reigner over all. That he is supreme. He is sovereign. Take heart in that. We should all be thankful for that. Another thing this book is about is this. This book was written to encourage unwavering holiness in a seductive culture. You think the culture in America is seductive? It was, again, really somewhat pales in comparison to what the early church went through. And really this message of this unwavering holiness should resonate in our hearts. You see, the temptation, listen to me, in any age is to turn away from Christ in the middle of persecution, in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of global pandemics, right? This temptation is to compromise beliefs and doctrines in order to save yourself or to save your job or to save your family. And that was going on in John's day as he's writing to these churches that there were many that wanted to just walk away from the faith because I don't know if, I don't know if it's for me because I might lose my job. I might lose my family. And there's a lot of people that when faced with those things, they compromise. There might be some in here tonight that have compromised over the years. There might be some in here tonight that know people who have compromised when really put to the test. (coughs) And you think about this, for the early church, this was a daily threat of persecution. 
But there was also, listen, a lure of pleasure in the Roman Empire. I don't want to be too lewd tonight because of kids, but this is Bible. Sex and success were tied with money and materialism. And many Christians were falling away in giving themselves over to a seductive power of worldly pleasures. And really, it's similar to what's happening today, isn't it? There are many Christians, probably even in this church, that have given themselves away to seductive powers, to sexual desires. So when Paul is trying to, or not Paul, I've been in Paul so long, John is trying to encourage them to have an unwavering holiness. Holiness and faithfulness to God. He is calling them to holiness. He is calling them to faithfulness. And ten times during Revelation, we see the people of God urge to keep God's commands. It's interesting. The book doesn't end with a vision of heaven. We see the picture of a new heaven and a new earth of God's people, but at the close of the book, John gives a repeated exhortation to holiness within the church. Eight of the last 15 verses, which we'll get to in Revelation, are calling God's people to obey and stay faithful. And really, that's how he starts the book, and that's how he finishes the book. Stay faithful. Obey God's commands. Look, there are some that are much wiser on the study of this book than I. And they might have their charts and maps and signs and symbols and meaning beyond all that. But that's not what this series is about. Because that's not the purpose that John wrote this for. Here's what I want you to ask as we study this book. As John was trying to get across, he was trying to get across to those Christians to look at your own life. To examine your own life. And ask the question, are you following Jesus? He is your king. He is your sovereign. He is in control. Are you following Jesus? Are you faithfully serving Jesus? Or are you giving in to seductive ways of culture around you? And again, I dare say that there are many, probably even right now tonight, either watching or with us personally, that have given in to seductive ways of culture. And especially think of America. It's very easy to. It's at our fingertips. It's on our phones. It's on our tablets. You know, before I remember preachers, you know, preaching against, you know, going to this place or that place or whatever, but we can get it in the privacy of our own home. And we can get into the seductive power of our culture in our homes, and not even bat an eye. The revelation as a whole is filled with promises of blessing for the faithful. Seven times, in fact, are actually a picture of perfect blessing. And the first one is in Revelation 1-3, where it says, Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy. Now, it's important to to read. It's important to hear. But John doesn't stop there, does he? What's he say next? After he says, blessed is he that readeth and those that hear the words of the prophecy. What are the next two words? And keep. (laughs) Yes, it's important to hear. It's important to read. But you must keep those things which are written. For the time is at hand. Jesus is coming back. So you must keep those things and obey them and apply them. Look, this book is serious. It's a somber warning to false Christians who are faking it in church, which is evident of their falling away. And God is calling them to repent of their sins and turn back. And that's really what I want to call of you tonight and really this rest of this series, however many months it takes us, to realize the seriousness of sin. I was at a meeting the other night, I took Brother Mike, and we went to a meeting and uh, heard one of my favorite preachers, Brother Scott Pauley, and he preached on prayer. And 
one of the things that he had made mention of is the fact that many, many Americans today aren't experiencing revival because they have a little fear of God. What he, what he was saying or what he was referring to is that we don't fear God. We don't truly fear God, so that's why we don't take sin seriously. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. We don't take church seriously. We don't take Bible study seriously. And you look back through history, and you look at this early first century as we're getting at on Sunday mornings in the book of Acts and even here in Revelation on Wednesday nights. These early Christians took their faith serious. It wasn't just a haphazard thing that, eh, sometimes I'll go, sometimes I won't. Eh, maybe I'll get it, maybe I won't. Doesn't really matter. This guy's boring, I'm going to tune him out. I'm tired, I'm hungry, it's time to go, let's, let's get out of here. No. They, they truly feared and reverenced and respected God for who he was. And I think that's what our churches need more than anything, a turning back to a true fear and awe of respect of who God is and what he could do. Now, I'm thankful for his grace and his mercy and compassion, and you should be as well. But we should also understand his judgment. And his wrath. And that's some of the things that we will discover in this book. You know, in Revelation, there are over 400 verses and 400 references to the Old Testament. And we're not going to look at every reference back to the Old Testament because we'd be here for, for years. But in Revelation 22.10, John says, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Don't just close it up and not listen to it. You see, Revelation is meant to be explored, examined, and embraced. Because when we discover the intent, the purpose of this great book, we understand it's all about Jesus. So then here tonight, what is the application for us in these first eight verses? How does God want us to respond? Again, this, is, this, this lesson tonight sets the stage for everything else to come. And we're going to get, we're, we're not going to try to go so deep, but we're going to get deep into some things over the next several weeks, and I hope you stay with us. It's I'm excited about it. I am. I'm not really sure why I decided to do this because it's a lot of study as well as acts. But I think this is where God wants us to go for this time. But this very, this very first message is very important understanding. So what's the application? What is John trying to get across? First of all, verse 1 through 3, receive the blessing. Receive the blessing as we've already read. This, the, you know, the Apostle Paul, as I've already alluded to, had sent letters to Many of these seven churches, Rome and Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Thessalonica, now John sent one book to seven different churches. Early in the book, he had a special message from Christ to each church, as we'll get to in chapter 2 and 3. But he was encouraging not to just hear the word, but to obey the word and apply the word. Revelation both begins and ends with a blessing. Now, quick note, the number... Seven, as I alluded to just a minute ago, there are seven blessings within the book. There are seven is very important because it signifies fullness and completeness. In Revelation, you will find seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, seven stars, seven lampstands. There is a special message to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 3. So the first thing we must do is receive the blessing from this book. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things. And then the second thing, look to the pictures of this glorious gospel, of the glorious gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses four through eight, 
John gives a bookend, or John gives us bookends that portray God's greatness. But sandwiched between are a glimpse of the gospel. The gospel is the central message of the entire Bible, that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for the sins of mankind, was buried and rose again, conquered death so that he can bring salvation to a lost and dying world. And in verse number four, look at this verse, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace and peace be with you from him which is, which was, and which is to come. This is also in reference to verse number eight. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, some believe that John was kind of countering a popular slogan of the day when he's referring to Jesus who was, who is, and who is coming because the popular slogan of the day was Zeus was, Zeus is, and Zeus will be. Zeus was a false god. He was a statue. The culture around worshipped him and bowed down to the great god Zeus, but I think John was kind of countering that, that it's not about Zeus, it's about Jesus Christ, who is greater than Zeus. Verse number five, look at this, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Dennis Johnson said, We need to see Jesus, to meet his blazing eyes of heart-searching holiness, to wake up at the trumpet blast of his voice, to respond to his jealous demand for exclusive and passionate loyalty, shocked, insensible by the impact of his splendor. We need, to, we need to then hear his words of compassionate comfort, quelling our fears and quaking our hopes. Every congregation, whatever its struggle, at its post on the battlefront, needs to fix its eyes on Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter and author and finisher of our faith. You see, Revelation is, yes, it's about the future, but not just about the future. It's about the past. And John talks about that, that Jesus is the conquering Savior. Look at the end of verse number five, where it says, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Really, it's talking about how he redeemed us. A better way to describe this might be to say, he loosed us. He set us free from the chains of sin. So verse number six is all about giving our adoration to him. Jesus Christ washed us. He set us free from the penalty of sin. He freed us from sin's penalty. It's talking about our justification. He is freeing us from sin's power, our sanctification, and he will one day free us from sin's presence, our glorification. Verse number seven let me read verse number six. I skipped that one. It says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That's why we should give adoration to him, because he washed us, he redeemed us. He set us free from sin's penalty. But verse number seven, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, Amen. Verse number seven is telling us to live with anticipation of him. The call to behold or the call to look is really what John is saying here. Hey, look, because he is coming. He is coming back in the clouds, not just to rapture the Christians. That's before this, but he is coming back to rule and reign. And the message of Revelation is not just that Christ is coming to rule, but that Christ already rules in the hearts of the Christians. Again, first century Christians experienced persecution. But Jesus 
held all authority in his hand, even the emperor in the palm of his hand. Listen, we don't just have hope in our future. We have hope in our present as well. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, and that needs to be the reminder of our heart. Verse number eight, I am alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come to the almighty. Verse number eight gives us the grand portrait of God's greatness. The titles given to God in Revelation 1.8 make it clear that he is certainly able to work out his divine purposes in human history. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. So God is at the beginning and God is at the end. (laughs) And he's in the middle. He's everywhere. He is the eternal God, unlimited by time. He is also the almighty God, able to do everything. You know, God the Father is called Alpha and Omega in verse 8 as well as chapter 21, verse 6. But it's not just applied to God, it's also applied to His Son. The title of first and the last goes back to Isaiah and his prophecies. It's another proof that Jesus is God. And the title about who God is, I am Alpha, Omega, beginning, end, first and last. I am Almighty. It leaves no room for open theism. And he leaves no room of a God who is not absolutely omniscient. You see, the God that I serve and the God that I hope you serve is absolutely omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. He is absolutely omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. And he is absolutely omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at once. And I close with this. Again, just an introductory lesson tonight. We don't just have hope in the future. We have hope in the present. Forget about what's going on in the world. Yes, we're in a pandemic. Okay, who cares? Our hope is not in whether the pandemic passes by November or not. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. We have hope in the present, and we have hope in our King, King Jesus. Not in a president, not in a man, not in a woman, not in any political figure, but in Jesus Christ, that is where we have hope. And really a great theme for this book goes back to that very first thing that I said as John was writing, this book was written to give unshakable hope to Christian suffering. And there are Christians today who are suffering in this present situation. So take hope that Jesus Christ is king. Take hope that Jesus Christ is victorious. And if you are on his side, you are victorious too. And that's the awesome thing about Revelation. It's not about who's coming up out of the ground and the zombie apocalypse, or some people refer to it as. It's not about that. It's about Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is sovereign. He is ruler over all. Take hope. Have an unshakable hope. Jesus Christ is victorious.